Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. So welcome Rebel Educators to this episode of the Rebel Educator Podcast. Welcome Rebel Educators. I'm joined today with Kelly Stewart. Kelly serves as the President and Chief Executive Officer at Collaborative Classroom. In her earlier roles in the company, she worked as Chief Operating Officer, Vice President of Dissemination and Implementation, and Assistant Director of Dissemination. Previously, she served as the Senior Research Associate at West Ed, where she led dissemination for Doing What Works, the DWW website which developed practical tools and videos to support educators in their understanding and use of proven research-based practices based on IES practice guides. Since beginning her career as an elementary school teacher, Ms. Stewart has worked with educators in schools and after-school sites in every state. So welcome, Kelly. I'm excited to hear more about you and your journey and about Collaborative Classroom and their journey. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be with you today. So let's start there. Can you tell us more about Collaborative Classroom and how your roles have evolved through the organization? Yeah, so I came uh, to the organization in 2006, and I knew a lot about them. At that time, they were called Developmental Studies Center, and they were founded by Eric Schaps, who was a kind of leader uh, in the field at the time around kind of pro-social learning. And so when I came there in 2006, uh, I was super interested in the work that they were doing in SEL through Program Health Care and School Community. But also uh, two other programs really caught my eye. One was called Making Meaning. It was really a way to build comprehension strategies with kids. But this whole integration of social development really piqued my interest. It was something unique that I hadn't seen in the field before in in a curriculum approach. And the other program they had was something called SIPS, which was really a program that we still have that teaches kids really how to unlock the code. It's a foundational skills program. And when you think of kind of what was happening at the organization of the time to have both halves uh, was a super interesting place to be. So I came uh, at the time in 2006 and worked as a national consultant, working kind of all over the country, bringing our work to different districts. And I also led some after school there at the time as well. And I decided to leave the organization in 2010, actually, to go to Wested. Because I always thought that was like, you know, the hubbub was nonprofits. I wanted to work at West Ed. They had so many interesting projects. And I had a great time there and learned a ton and got to work a lot with the Department of Ed and really get even closer with research. But in 2013, I was really kind of called back to the organization. And I thought about what do I want to spend kind of my career on? And it really came down to classroom instruction and how can we make a difference with kind of the dynamic between children and their teacher and children and children. And so uh, Collaborative Classroom, who changed our name a little while ago, uh, was that place for me. And so since then, I've kind of had different roles of leading the field efforts, bringing our, our work into this role now that I took over in October. So do you have a lot of opportunity now to be in the classroom and to work with teachers and, and do that work that you've loved so much? Very good question. Uh, not so much in the last two years, obviously, with everything that's happened, obviously, we couldn't be in a lot of classrooms. One of the things that I was able to do that COVID uh, afforded me because we were working from home was I was able to tutor at a local elementary school. So I went to my local elementary school and said, I have a little more free time. I'm not commuting. 
I would love to tutor some older kids that need some help. So starting last January through August, I uh, tutored some kids and helped them learn how to read and helped get them a little more prepared for middle school. So that was near and dear to my heart and really fed me. And I'm still in touch with some of the kids today. It's been great. We were able to loop in some San Francisco State college students as well to become tutors. So that was something that kind of met that need in the absence of being able to be in in schools. But this spring, I was able to be again. And certainly next fall, I'm looking forward to uh, getting back into a lot of our schools and districts. What a wonderful gift that you were able to have the time and create a little network of tutors to support your local school. Yeah, it was it was a great experience and trying to think about how we can continue that because there's certainly the need there. And these kids were just amazing to work with and so fun. Uh, and it was all over Zoom and it, it worked pretty well considering I didn't meet them until the summer, which was fun to finally see them in person. <laughs> I bet. You mentioned pro-social learning. And so I'd love to hear you talk more about the connection between literacy education and social emotional learning and how the collaborative classroom model makes that connection. Yeah. So I'll give you just a little piece of history because I think it's important for kind of understanding what we do today. So uh, as I said, Eric Schaps founded the organization in 1980. So we've been around for a little while. And the first 20 years, we were really building knowledge in the field. And we were doing pretty extensive studies on kind of what does it take to have kids come to school and have a sense of connection to each other, to their teachers. And that really led the way for some of the, the deep SEL research that exists out in the world today. But around 2000, Eric recognized that the impact we were making was small. We were doing some research, but we weren't working in a lot of places. So this kind of thinking, this way of work wasn't really getting out in the world. So at that time, he took a big risk in the organization and said, you know, the best way to really get this kind of work of really strong social development, pro-social work is to marry it with literacy in elementary school. It's the biggest part of a child's day. It can't just be a side dish. We can't just be doing teacher training on this. We actually have to build the capacity to build curriculum and integrate this into lessons every single day. So that's where we were really born into developing curriculum. And it's really served schools well and kids well. So I'll just give you a, a quick example in our writing curriculum. One of the things that uh, we do is giving kids a lot of freedom to partner up, to come up with their projects, do the research, think about how to share the work fairly. And we do those same things in the elementary age uh, with kids of trying to get them to think about things they're interested in, thinking about how to talk to them. How are you going to share the work responsibly? What are you going to do when you and your partner disagree? So building that kind of social skill connection into every single lesson, we have found just builds such skill and aptitude for working this way in classrooms. So that's kind of our hallmark is this integration that we kind of see you can't do one without the other. And just to make it a little bit easier for teachers to recognize which social skills go well with what they're trying to teach in the academics has been something that we, we've seen teachers really appreciate over time. Yeah, that was going to be what I was going to ask about is looking at, you know, what are some of the key components of literacy that you look at and what are some of the key components of social emotional development that you look at and how do those things align or how do you connect them? And a side note, I love that you build out of agency. That's that's the way we run so many of our classes is there's always space for student interest and student development and student creation. Um, so it's wonderful to hear. Yeah, we see that a ton with our writing curriculum. It's called being a writer. 
And just to kind of build off that of what it actually looks like. So kids may be engaged together for a a six-week unit. We believe a lot in random pairing of not just letting kids choose their friends to try to get them to work with kids they may not normally be friends with. And so, you know, each day the lesson starts out with kind of what we're going to try to do in terms of the research. We got to go get a lot of ideas. How are you and your partner going to share kind of the responsibility of getting those ideas? How are you going to come back and talk about it and kind of moving them through the stages over a a six-week unit? A lot of the social skills that are in our programs are things like participating responsibly, taking turns and listening, acting in caring ways, agreeing and disagreeing respectfully. And they may seem like things that are, oh, yeah, everybody's doing that. But I think until you actually see it play out in the classroom and having a focus in a lesson of talking about it in the beginning, seeing how it's playing out throughout that time period, and then reflection at the end every day, we just see kids being able to take those skills on in a different way than we did when it was just a 30-minute lesson on SEL and then hope that the teachers can integrate it into their work. Yeah, it's absolutely helpful to give a framework of how to connect those things together. How would you say this is different from the literacy that I grew up with or the literacy that you may have had as a child? Like, How has literacy research and development changed and shifted over the years? Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up with the SRA, you read something, you take a test, and you go to the next one. There wasn't a lot of conversation about books. There wasn't a lot of conversation about kind of character development, perspective-taking point of view. So we try to foster that quite a bit. We use a ton of mentor texts, both in our reading comprehension work and in our writing work as well. And we just find that that allows kids an entry point into the discussion and gets them thinking, you know, if it's in the in the writing of that kind of writing style that this particular author is using. I don't know about you, but in my elementary years, I don't ever remember talking about things like, how are you going to share work? What do you do if someone disagrees with you? It was a little bit of shut up and color where I went. (laughs) It wasn't. There wasn't a lot of agency and choice by any means. So it's pretty radically different from what I grew up with. Yeah, I think I'm in that same boat. In all honesty, I don't remember much of my literacy instruction from my elementary years. I learned to read, so something worked. (laughs) But Beyond that, you know, I remember lots of, honestly, lots of time sitting bored at my desk waiting for other kids to finish stuff that like shut up in color kind of idea and not, yeah, not having a lot of freedom or a lot of choice or a lot of other options for things that you could do is this is the thing. And when you're done, you sit and wait. And then this is the thing and you're done, you're sitting and wait. I definitely remember it not being collaborative. We were not in groups. We were not writing things together. Yeah, it wasn't a classroom or community building experience. Yeah, same. And one of the things we talk about a lot, you know, around second grade, kids start to get their best friends and a lot of exclusion happens. So we really try to think about what's happening for a child in their development years and what kinds of social skills would be very helpful at those times. So in our care and school community curriculum, we do a lot of work around exclusion, bullying, trying to really break down some of the, you know, things that happen in some of those crucial years for kids. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes we see those things happen because kids aren't learning as quickly or they're seeing it from a different perspective. Does the curriculum also look at learning differences within students? And is there support there for students with dyslexia or students with other learning differences and challenges as they go through learning the social skills and the literacy? 
Yeah. So a couple of things. We, we do build a lot of teacher notes into the curriculum to try and support teachers. We also have programs. I mean, one of the programs that gets used a lot with students with dyslexia is our SIPS program. It's a real structured kind of literacy program. And we want them in our kind of reading comprehension work as well of talking about text, building those comprehension skills as well. The other thing that we do, like I talked about in our writing curriculum, we're not asking kids to all write about frogs. (laughs) You know, we're trying to give kids a lot of choice in whatever genre we're working in of things that they're interested and passionate about and also create some of their work in a variety of ways, depending kind of on where they are. So try to build as much of that into the curriculum as possible without overwhelming teachers on the pages (laughs) as well. And a lot of work around professional learning as well is a support that we give to the teachers. Great. I know you mentioned a little bit about impact and wanting to create impact and build impact and have a greater influence in the world. And since 1980, when Collaborative Classroom was founded, the organization has reached over 8 million students. You've worked with over 328,000 educators. And so I guess my question is, coming in as a newer CEO, like what is your strategy moving forward? What is next for you and the company? Yeah. So, you know, our first 20 years were really about knowledge building. Our next kind of 18 years after that, we're trying to get really good at being curriculum developers and getting the work out into the world. Kind of our new big part of our strategy building on the, on the first two is supporting teachers once they get the curriculum. So one of the things we find a ton won't be a surprise to anyone listening is teachers are given curriculum and depending on the district they're in, the school they're in, they may or may not get support. And so we're trying to build a lot of ways that teachers, regardless of where they are, can get ongoing support. So we've got something called a learning portal that teachers can come get quick tips. They can see little videos in action of kind of new things they're trying to teach. We launched a really cool coaching platform this year. And we're finding that this kind of asynchronous one-on-one coaching for teachers is pretty impactful. Teachers don't get a lot of support, just one-on-one of something they're struggling with and trying to do. So that's a real big direction for us is implementation, doing all we can. Oftentimes, districts will buy curriculum and they may work with professional learning organization outside of the publisher. And sometimes it can go really well, but sometimes it doesn't go so well and new frameworks are brought in. It takes them even further away from kind of the intent of the lesson. So we are doing everything we can to think about how can we support teachers at whatever level of support they want, not treating them all the same, but if they just want a small little bit of support or if they need a little bit heavier levels of support, how can we meet those needs? So that's a big strategic focus for us now. Yeah, that's huge. And that's something that I hear consistently from teachers and from leaders is how overworked they are, how many things are on their plate. But also how many new curriculums there are, like add this, integrate that, we're changing this, here it is, go teach it. And maybe you get some training with the curriculum, maybe you don't, maybe you get the teacher manual and you're told to go teach it. But having that opportunity, especially for one-to-one coaching, I know for me, when I think about my development, that's absolutely the thing that has been the most impactful is being able to really look at what am I struggling with? Who can help? And how do I find that? And so I think that's incredible as an organization that you're really seeing that need and reaching out to educators in that way. Yeah, and we're really trying to find ways to help the district also build their own capacity. We worked with about 50 teachers in one of our districts this year, and it was a great way to 
kind of also work with the district about kind of some overarching things, not sharing anything personal, but like these are a few things teachers need support with. So it helped also focus their coaching with their own coaches. And one of the things we heard a lot from those coaches who were supporting those teachers outside of the way we were doing it is they said, you know, one of the things I notice a lot when I'm coaching is I'm not always listening. I'm getting ready to respond. So I'm not actually taking in everything the teacher's hearing. And this asynchronous way has forced me in to listen to them in a different way and think about how to support them in a way that I might have just moved on and not really listened to their kind of unique challenge that they're struggling with. So I have very high hopes for this approach in our work. And, you know, I hope others will emulate it as well. I think teachers don't get the support that they need. Yeah. And what an interesting perspective, because we talk about that a lot in communication. And I, I imagine that your curriculum talks about it, even with young kids, and it's how we listen to each other and actually hear what they're saying before we respond. Because so many of us are thinking of, what are we going to say next? What do I have that connects to that? What does this remind me of? What's my next question? Instead of really listening. And so I love that perspective of slowing it down, having it be asynchronous, which from one perspective is, wow, I have this question now and I need an answer now and I'm not going to get it now. But that other perspective of this really allows us to think and to percolate on what the issue is and get you the really right response that's going to support what you're doing. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to watch the back and forth with the coach and and the teacher. I mean, sometimes a, a coach and teacher will go back three or four times and they'll be sending each other videos, you know, at eight o'clock at night, and it takes a five-minute video. And so watching also the progression has been really interesting. So we started with one of our programs, and we're starting to build it out for the rest of our programs this next year. How exciting. Well, I, as you know, I run an elementary school. And so I love to ask guests a question, you know, a story that they remember from their elementary school years. So can you share something that you remember back from your elementary school experience? Yeah. So you you and I kind of talked, we had some similar experiences, (laughs) not a lot of agency development, a lot, a lot of choice. Towards the end of my elementary years, I had a really fabulous teacher, Mr. Shelnett. He's a legend where I grew up and he was a teacher that did allow kind of some choice in the way that we did things. So one of the projects in science was to, you know, do the traditional build the volcano right? And it's supposed to erupt and run down. So, you know, I was supposed to use baking soda and vinegar and all these things. Well, I happened to live across the street from an older boy who had access to gunpowder. So I decided (laughs) that I would fill my can halfway with gunpowder and take that to school and light it on fire. So the, the result of that was, and we never tried it, we just did it. And then I went and lit it. The entire thing flew up into the air probably about 30 feet up in the air. And he looked at me, the teacher, shocked as all the kids were too, because you know now you have flying objects in the air. And he just said, Stuart A+. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> so he did, you know, it was one of those things, he didn't give a ton of direction of like what was okay or not okay or what materials you can use or not use. And, you know, I wanted to have the most explosive volcano. You succeeded. <laughs> I really did. My son has one of those volcanoes on our back patio right now that, yes, we use vinegar and baking soda to make nice little lava flows coming out of it. But now I'm picturing yours taking off like a rocket. Yeah, it, it really did. And I grew up in an area where there were volcanoes, so it was it was quite the thrill. <laughs> well, thank you so much. How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. 
and happy to connect with folks. People can also find me via our website. And I always love talking to anyone who cares a lot about education and happy to chat with anyone. And their website is collaborativeclassroom.org. And you can find Kelly Stewart on LinkedIn. Is there anything else that you haven't shared with us that we should know about your journey or the journey of Collaborative Classroom? No, I think just that we're still on a journey. We're, we're doing all we can to really support teachers. And I think there's more important time than we're in than right now. So we're just trying to, to find all those ways to be very supportive to make their work just a little bit easier. Yeah. And I love that you're still on a journey. That's one of the things I say all the time when people ask me questions like that. I'm like, well, it's a work in progress. We're figuring it out. We're staying curious. We're learning as we go and creating all of the things that we find that we need. Thank you so much for your time, Kelly. It's been wonderful to talk with you. You too. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com, where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. Upacademysf.com, where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators. Rebel Educators.